Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. These are indeed times, times that try men's souls, are they not? We jumped into this sermon series last week and we're going to continue it today. I want to start off by giving you the uh, quotation that that phrase comes from. We've heard it uh, throughout our lives as school children. It comes to us from Thomas Paine who wrote at the time of the American Revolution a pamphlet called The Crisis. He wrote it in hopes to rally people to the cause of the first patriots of this nation. In doing so, he said this. He said, These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, hear me now, you hear this church, hear these words, the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price upon its goods. Wouldn't you assume such? Heaven does know how to put a proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Amen? Times that try men's souls indeed. Church, we are, we are living it now. We are living it now. This is a study that has... Well, it will take us, as we study through the book of Jude, it will take us into some territory uh, that is untraveled, untraveled by many, many Christians. This is a much-neglected text among the churches today. This is the only book that is 100% devoted to apostasy. And, of course, I'm talking about the book of Jude. Can I see our sermon? Do we have our sermon title? Wonderful. The book of Jude... This is a book that is written to the end times church. Specifically, the brother of Jesus wrote this letter. He had fully intended to write a letter to the church and say, how great is our salvation? But the Holy Spirit interrupted and said, no, you're going to write a, a warning. And you're going to write a warning to the church that is and the church that is to come. So this is a message, guys, that is for you personally and the greater church, end time church at large. It is a warning. There are scoffers all around us, are there not? Scoffers all around us. The true faith is growing scarce these days. Do you feel that? The true faith is growing scarce. In the midst of this climate, Jude calls us to do a few things we talked about last week, if you remember. He calls us to contend, to compete, to fight, and to defend the faith. But some will say, Pastor Chad, there's just so much uncertainty in this time. There's just so much division. I can't even talk to my family without getting into an argument. I saw uh, 
in the back, there's a, a little uh, stone that has a writing on it, and it says, uh, I don't argue, I'm just explaining why I'm right. right? <laughs> oh, man. Do you, do you guys feel this, though? I, honestly, I, do you, am I the only one who has trouble talking to family even these days? My goodness. You might say, how far do you want me to take it, Pastor Chad? How far do you want me to take it then? Well, all the way. All the way. That's how far you need to take it, guys. If you love the Lord all the way, if, and even more so, let me say this. If you love the people that you are contending with all the way. I'm not saying don't use tact. Don't get me wrong, right? But I am saying never give in, never give up, never stop contending for the truth, for the faith, guys. Eternity is a long time. It is a long time. And don't you know that everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere? Jude chapter 1. Well, there's only one chapter, so Jude. <laughs> you thought we would have got through it last week. We made it four verses, right? Jude, we're going to read verses 5 through 7 this morning. Can you open your Bibles for me, guys? And uh, I know a lot of you guys love to travel in your, uh, along with me in, in your Bible. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 6 as well, because we'll go there in a few minutes. That way you can get a head start. Do I hear any Bible pages flipping? Come on. Here we go. Verses 5 through 7. Let's read. But I want to remind you, Jesus says, off of the heels of saying, contend for the faith. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for their judgment of the great day. Verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar matter to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Whoa, huh? So I mentioned, I mentioned uh, that this is not the most common scripture that you'll ever hear read on a Sunday morning in churches, right? Jude will take us, as I said, into some places not often traveled by many, many Christians. Right off the bat here, though, Jude is reminding us of a few things, right? He, what's the first thing he said in verse 5? He said, but I want to remind you. And then he carried on through the verse and all the way through verse 7. But what did he want to remind us of? A few things. We have that list in this next graphic. A few things. He wanted to remind us, the end time church, of deliverance from Egypt, of angelic disobedience, and of Sodom and Gomorrah. Interesting. Now, why would he pick these three things in speaking to an end-time church. Well, what do these three things have in common? That's what we're going to talk about here for a minute, okay? The first thing that I want you to notice should be comforting to those of you who have been concerned about the state of the world and the state of our nation, for that matter. The first and the third things on this list, deliverance from Egypt, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? 
Well, what do they do? They tell of how, obviously, right off the bat, we know when we recall the story that they tell of how God saved his people out of the wicked cultures that they were in, right? He saved his people out of the wicked cultures that they were in before he brought that vengeance onto those nations or onto those cities. These are type and shadow events, If you're not familiar with type and shadow, we talk a lot about type and shadow when we talk about prophecy. A lot of times, the way that God does something in the past is exactly how he's going to do it in the future. Okay? Type and shadow. What do we see? The Israelites with their backs up against the Red Sea, right? Here we have the Egyptians coming for them. Backs up against the wall, literally a wall of water. The Egyptians were on their way to gather them back up and return them into slavery. But what what did God do? (sighs) Made a way, didn't he? He rescued them. He rescued them, church. I think that video, I I wanted to use that video to set up the message this morning because it's so relevant, the world that we're in all of the heartache, heartbreak, all of the wickedness of this world that you saw flicker through that tape, leading up to the same end. Egypt and Sodom and Gomorrah are type and shadow of a future rapture event. He rescued them with Sodom and Gomorrah. There was but one family left in that city. One family left in that city uh, that was completely given over to debauchery. And what did God do? He sent some angels, didn't he, to retrieve them. He rescued them, all right? So that right off the bat should bring you some comfort. Just without even digging any further, we are familiar enough with those two stories, aren't we? To see that type and shadow. How many of you this morning know that we are in need of a rescue in this world? Amen? How many of you know that it's that same evil It's the same evil now as it was back then. It's that same devil. It's that same spirit that was trying to recapture those Hebrews and enslave them all over again. It's that same demon. It's that same evil that overtook those cities, those towns. Remember, this is a letter to the end-time church. So why these three events? They must be relevant to us, but how? We have to take verse 6, though. I want to take verse 6, and I want to thoroughly take it apart this morning. Because those first two, I, I just mentioned those, and you already know what I'm talking about. I just need to briefly go over those, right? But why this third one on the list of angelic disobedience? Why bring that up? Well, let's look at verse 6. It reads, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain. What does that mean? What does it mean that they didn't keep their proper domain? Well, it means that word in the Greek, it means this. It means first place. They did not keep their principality. But they left their own abode. That word in the Greek is a word called oketerion. It means their habitation. It means dwelling place for their spirit. They stepped out of it. Whoa. (laughs) Is this too much for a Sunday morning, guys? We're going to start talking about some dimensional things here. 
some demonic principality things. <clears throat> Did you know that the Bible goes into all that? It sure does. So they left their abode, they left their habitation, they left their dwelling place for their spirit, and he has reserved in everlasting chains them under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. So what is that all about, right? What is this all about? Well, some believe that this verse right here, verse 6, is a reference to when Satan led angels in rebellion before Adam and Eve were even in the garden. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15, he led a rebellion against God because he wanted God's position. He brought angels with him. It failed. They were cast down. Some people believe that that's what this is talking about. If you're interested in that, write down Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. But I believe that this is a more direct reference to Genesis chapter 6. And I believe it's very, very relevant to us today and our position because it's all about just before the flood of Noah. So let's read Genesis chapter 6 together. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, and this is where it gets pretty wild pretty quick, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all the women they chose. Now back it up before we move forward. The sons of God, if you're just reading along in your Bible, you might just blow right past that and not think anything of it. Oh, that could be obviously must be talking about men, right? Actually, the Hebrew is this word, ben Elohim, and it actually means angels, or rather fallen angels. And according to Jewish tradition, Choir angels at that, guys. So the worship team, in other words, right? That figures. It's always the worship team, Chuck. One thing that we know for sure is that there's a common teaching uh, in uh, seminaries today that these, there's no way it could have been angelic beings, so they come up with a whole story of it being a tribe of Sethites, descendants of Seth. But if you just look at the language, he's obviously speaking of angels, and Hebrew tradition backs up this idea. So fallen angels look upon the daughters of men. Wow. And they took wives. Verse 3, let's keep reading. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be numbered 120 years. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to that. Verse 4. There were giants in the land. This word in Hebrew is Nephilim, and it means fallen ones as well. And it's directly correlated to these fallen angels that took wives of human women. This is a wild teaching, isn't it? Stay with me. So there were Nephilim, on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were essentially half-human, half-angelic beings, guys. Nephilim, otherwise known as giants. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. 
We might know of them today through tradition as the pantheon of Greek gods. Cool, huh? Verse 5 continues, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Can you imagine that? The hearts and thoughts of men continually nothing but evil. Mm-mm-mm. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I want to back it up to verse 3 real quick. Verse 3, where we put that pin a second ago, read that the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. That same passage in the Latin Vulgate, a, a text that was very, very old. Before we had the King James Bible even, we had the Vulgate. So from the original Hebrew and Greek was translated the Latin Vulgate. It says this of verse 3. It says it a little bit differently. Remember how it read just a second ago, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. It reads in the Vulgate, my spirit shall not remain in man forever for he is flesh. And so his days shall be 120 years. This is interesting for a couple reasons. First of all, that 120 days there's some, uh, or years, there's some conjecture that once, Noah to- uh, once God told Noah to build the ark, that it was 120 years until he flooded the earth, right? Interestingly enough, ancient Hebrew scribes and rabbis believed that this was pointing to a 6,000-year plan for man. Uh, they took it to mean 120 jubilee years, 50-year blocks of time. A jubilee year, uh, we've talked about this in the past, for seven sevens, on the seventh year, you're to let the land rest, and you add up seven different times by the 49th year, the 50th year, and this is all in Leviticus, is a jubilee year where slaves go free, uh, land is returned to its original owners. It's a great time. It's a jubilee, right? Well, the ancient rabbis believed that this was referencing 120 jubilee cycles, which would be a 6,000-year plan for man, and then, of course, there being a 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ, after the tribulation period, that's a total of 7,000 years. As Peter said, if you remember anything I tell you, remember this, that a, a, a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day. And how many days in the week are there? Seven. So many ancient scribes and the first church fathers, if you read their work, believed in a 6,000-year plan for man. But what sticks out to me is that where does the Holy Spirit dwell? In us. It is actually in you. The Holy Spirit actually dwells within us in this imperfect flesh that's always working on us. But the Lord said, my spirit shall not remain in man forever. So, put a pin in that. (laughs) We'll come back to that. Verse 4 is even more interesting if you ask me. Verse 4 in the Latin Vulgate reads as such. Remember what verse 4 in the English says. It says, there were giants in the land on the earth in those days and also afterwards, right? Well, the Vulgate says, Now Nephilim were upon the earth in those days, for after the sons of God, the B'nai Ha'elohim, in other words, the direct spirit creation. So you know this can't be Sethites. 
the direct spirit creation went into the daughters of men and they conceived. These became the powerful ones of ancient times, men of renown. You guys remember the story of a giant in the Bible from Sunday school? David and Goliath. This is where he comes from. Goliath was a Nephilim. He was a leftover from this time. And guess what? The Bible also tells us he had four brothers. And I'm not teaching on David and Goliath today, but it's pretty cool when David goes to the stream and he gets how many uh, smooth stones out of the riverbed? Five. It wasn't because he was planning on missing. Goliath had four brothers. Going to need five of these stones. That's faith, huh? But this is where Goliath comes from, Og of Bashan in your Bible. Caleb and uh, Joshua and the 10 spies with him, remember, they went into the land to scope it out and they came back and said, there's giants, there's Nephilim in the land. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Justin Martyr said this of uh, this whole idea, this, this history that's long been forgotten. He said this, God... When he made the whole world and subjected things to earthly man and arranged the heavenly elements for the increase of fruits and rotation of the seasons and appointed this divine law for these things also he evidently made for man, committed the care of men and all things under heaven to angels whom he appointed over them. But the angels transgressed this appointment and were captivated by love of women and beget children who are those that are called demons. You guys believe in demons? Guys, I mean, we can openly talk about things like giants and Nephilim and demons. We can still talk about that stuff on Sunday mornings in church, right? Demons are nothing more than disembodied Nephilim according to most of the early church fathers, certainly Justin Martyr right here. Those are called demons. And besides, they afterwards subdued the human race to themselves, partly by magical writings and partly by fears and punishments uh, they occasioned, and partly by teaching them to offer sacrifices and incense and libations of which things they stood in need after they enslaved by lustful passions and among men they sowed murderers, Wars, adulteries, intemperate needs, and all wickedness. There's a, uh, there's a text known as the book of Enoch that is referenced in the word of God. The text that we have now, uh, we can only date it as far back as 100 BC, so we don't know that that was the original text. That's why it's not included in the canon, although it is included in the Ethiopian canon. But we don't include it. We don't consider it scripture because it's, it came out of Alexandria where there was too much uh, bad stuff going on as far as uh, translating and Gnostic stuff, right? But Josephus, to our point, Josephus also said this. Let me read you this just to drive the point home. Now, this posterity of Seth continued to esteem God as the Lord of the universe and to have an entire regard to virtue. For seven generations, 
But in process of time, they were perverted and forsook the practices of their forefathers and did neither pay those honors to God which were appointed to them, nor had they any concern to do justice towards them, but for what degree of zeal they had formerly shown for virtue, they now showed by their actions a double degree of wickedness, whereby they made God to be their enemy. For many angels of God accompanied with women and beget sons that proved unjust and despisers of all that was good on account of the confidence they had in their own strength. For the tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those whom the Grecians called giants. Greek, right? Anybody? But Noah was very uneasy at what they did, and being displeased at their conduct, persuaded them to change their dispositions and their acts for the better. But seeing that they did not yield to him, but were slaves to their wicked pleasures, he was afraid they would kill him. little interesting insight into Noah, huh? a little color for us. Together with his wife and children, he was afraid that they would kill them. And those they had, they had married, so he departed out of the land. That comes to us from Antiquities of the Jew, Jews. Famous uh, historical document that supports many uh, scriptures. Okay, so <laughs> I simply highlight these things. I simply highlight these things this morning to point out the fact that this is a heavily heavily accepted and reported history that we don't hear much about anymore. But Jude was talking to the end time church and he specifically mentions this. Why? I mean, typically when we talk about this kind of stuff like giants and whatnot, we just do it in a context of mythology, not necessarily truly believing that there were giants. We'll let our minds go to Goliath being a giant, and then that's about the end of it. That's about, we don't really usually think of it any more than that, right? But this was a heavily understood piece of history to all of the people in Jesus' day. This would have been a heavily uh, understood piece of history to Jude. It's pretty crazy. But it wasn't mythology to the first church, guys. It wasn't mythology to them. It was accepted knowledge. So Jude says this. He says, okay, remember all that, okay? Remember all that. Remember uh, our three things. Remember uh, uh, Egypt. Remember the disobedience of angels. And remember Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, remember all that. Well, what did Egypt and uh, Sodom and Gomorrah have in common? They were both rescued, right? But what they had in common, when, when, when these angels fell, why did they fall? Disobedience and the desire of usurping glory for themselves. That's it, guys. What did, what did people do when they fell? People worshipped them. People worshipped them. They gave them what they want. For example, like I said, we see the Greek pantheon of gods, right? Right? I think of Hercules. What's Hercules' story? Do you remember Hercules' story? What was he? Half God, half human. A demigod, as they would say, right? 
As all of these stories, all of these, all of these stories of, of, of these false gods and, and demon worship, pagan idolatry, it all goes back to the same place. The same evil is at play today in the world as it was back then. It really all started back in Babylon, all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, really, it started all the way back in the garden, didn't it? When that snake slithered up to Adam and Eve and lied. Mm-mm. Is it any wonder that when the angels appeared, if we have this in mind, is it any wonder that when the angels appeared in Sodom and Gomorrah that the entire debauched city turned out in an endeavor to take part with the celestial beings? Not at all. They lusted after them, it tells us in Genesis. I want to show you a few things. Uh, Can I see this next graphic? What do we see? Babylon... One more. Babylon, religion versus the true religion. What do we see? Babylon, mystery religion, what they teach in Babylon, evolution, right? What do we see being taught today? But the true, uh, the true faith teaches special creation. Babylon taught reincarnation. The true faith teaches resurrection. Babylon religion taught astrology. There is no astrology in the true faith. Babylon mystery religion taught many gods, many ways to to heaven, many ways. You know, the God that gets you to heaven, they just have a different name, and that's all. They're all the same, though, right? No, no, no. The true faith says that there is one true creator, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Babylon religion says the original creator God is, he's he's not a personal force, he's impersonal. The true faith says that the original creator, God, is a person. Sixthly, Babylon religion teaches that there is a peace of God in each of us. We can be God. We can be our gods ourselves. We can do it. We can, it's our own righteousness and our own strength that we can accomplish anything, right? No, 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 no. God is totally separate from his creation, though within our hearts, separate. And seventhly, Babylonian religion taught magic rites to manipulate the spirits and the forces. And God teaches us in the true faith to pray to him for answers. Look at the mystery religion on the left. Do we see any of these things at play today in our world? I'd say every single one of them, wouldn't you? Every single one of them. With this in mind, let's read verse 7 again. Jude chapter 7, or uh, verse 7. So, there's a little background for you to verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Why is any of this relevant to you, right? Why would this be relevant to the end-time church specifically? Does this mean, guys, that we're going to see giants before the return of Jesus? Well, Isaiah chapter 13, verse 3, in the Septuagint, does say this. 
I will give command and I will bring them. Giants are coming to fulfill my wrath, rejoicing at the same time and insulting. Speaking of the day, the great day of the Lord when men's hearts will melt and their hands will fail them. So that said, I don't know. But uh, I don't believe that we're going to be here for that wrath anyway, guys. I think the point is at least this. It's at least this. Can I see that next graphic? It's at least this. How do we know? We are fighting the same demonic forces that our ancestors were. And how do we know? What's their fruit? What is their fruit? You will know them by their fruit, says Matthew chapter 7, verse 16 through 20. And what is their fruit? Disobedience. The spirit of disobedience that is alive in this, this day, in this age. The denial of God and usurping of his place. Everything is science these days, isn't it? Science. <laughs> by definition, by the way, science is always changing based on our understanding. So by definition, it can never be a standard, you understand. It's a study. You have, has anybody gotten into conversations with anybody about masks and social distancing and the effectiveness of either? You know, there's a lot of different studies, but what's the one thing people always come back to you and say, if you're in disagreement, you say, well, you know, the box actually says that it lists coronavirus as something that this doesn't stop. And, you know, what, what, what do they shout back at you? Science, Right? Interesting thing about social distancing is that you know that every single one of us have an electric field? Every single human being has an electric field. Do you know how far it goes out from you? Six feet. Interesting that Satan would use something to keep us apart, wouldn't he? Anyway. <sighs> Science. The denial of God, the usurping of his place. Science becomes God. Lust for power in this age, lust for power for the praise that is God's alone. What do we hear about these days so much? Everything's about the state. The state wants to provide you all that you need. We want universal income. We want, we want all of these. We want the state to care for us, the state to meet all of our needs. There's no reason to rely on God. We've got you covered, says the state. You know, and that's the key, the key to Communism, by the way, if you've ever studied communism, is atheism. Because communism wants to be God for you. Do we see that today? Are we fighting the same evil today? Sexual sin and perversion? Well, my goodness. Do we see these things today? Actually, you know, I've got a few headlines that might uh, uh, match up with some of this. Can I see this next picture? The government is your new religion now. Did you know that? The government wants to take care of all you need. What else do we have? We have another one? Let's keep going through these. <sighs> Sexual sin and perversion, do we see that today? This is a headline, that I, I, an article I read. Roman Catholic bishop is alarmed by misguided Biden executive order. And what are they doing? It's all about sexual identification changing language, uh, making it illegal for people to hire or to uh, uh, say that you have to dress as a man if you're a man. 
making it illegal for businesses to say, you know, it's great I hired you. You're a man. You want to dress like a woman. I'm going to have to say no. I'm going to have to dress like a man since you're a biological man. That's, these are all things that are becoming illegal. Do, are we seeing this spirit today? I think we're seeing this spirit today. What's the next one we have? Dr. Anthony Fauci said Thursday, President Joe Biden will be revoking the Mexico City policy, which the Trump administration expanded to prohibit organizations overseas that receive U.S. health assistance funding from promoting or performing abortions. Child sacrifice. So what was the evil that we were fighting back then? The evil that was present during these times that... Jude spoke of disobedience, denial of God, usurping his place, lust for power, lust for praise, praise that is God's alone. The state wants it. Sexual sin and perversion. Do we see that today? It's being dictated by the state now. Child sacrifices back in vogue. Planned Parenthood refunded. As a matter of fact, our U.S. government wanting to fund abortions worldwide, as we see. I'm just telling you guys, there is nothing new under the sun. If we just read through those, five, those verses, five through seven, we might just read them and say, wow, that's weird, and keep going, right? But if you just push pause and say, why would Jude specifically mention these three things to us? This is a letter to the end-time church. After we dig just a little bit, it becomes pretty clear, doesn't it? The book of Joshua says this. It says, For in those days the sons of man began to trespass against God and to transgress the commandments which he had commanded to Adam, to be fruitful and to multiply in the earth. And some of the sons of men caused their wives to drink a draft that would render them barren in order that they might retain their figures and whereby their beautiful appearance might not fade. Abortion. Abortion. There's nothing new, guys. There is nothing new under the sun. The evil that they, they were up against then is the same devil today, guys. <sighs> Sounds pretty familiar, huh? So Jude's letter might be more relevant than it initially sounds, is my point this morning, guys. Don't worry, though, all right? This is where we bring it all back together. Right? Don't worry, I have got a plan. Do you know what it is? It's a rescue plan. Stay with me here, okay? It's a rescue plan. And no, it does not involve Donald Trump and the Insurrection Act, okay? Though that would be nice right about now. He who saved his people when the Egyptians had them pinned against the sea, intent on enslaving them, he who cared to spare even one family before he brought destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. He who thought to save one family when he tapped Noah on the sh shoulder and said, you know, I'm sorry that I made man except for you. You should build a boat. Why don't you build a boat? That same God, he is the same God that we serve and trust in today, amen? Nothing's new. And with that said, you know, the final thing that all three references that Jude mentioned have in common is that 
this, guys, that God's vengeance will be paid out in full. It will be paid out in full on the wicked. So it comes all the way. Let's bring it all the way back to the beginning. What did we ask right on? Pastor Chad, how far do you want me to take this? There's so much division. I can, look, I do contend for the faith, but you know what? I'm just, every time I can't even talk to my family. It's a fight every time. How far should I take this? Should I just keep fighting with them every time? Should I just keep bringing it up and bringing it up? Yes. Eternity is a long time. And everybody's going to spend it somewhere. And I'll tell you what, after after the door on the boat closes, after the door on the ark closes, the world will be flooded and there's going to be nowhere to go. Once the rapture of the church happens... There will be no other rapture to come. Anyone left behind from the rapture, guys, will have God's wrath. We think, look, we've got suffering now. We've got persecution now, but it's at the hands of each other. Satan manipulates people to cause pain on other people in this world, right? What's coming on the face of this earth will be God's vengeance and God's wrath, and he will not pour that out on his bride, on his church. So yeah, as obnoxious as it is to continually argue with the people you continually argue with, or what did we say before? Explain why you're right to. If you love them, and if you love the Lord, who would have it that none be lost, contend, persist, Agonize for, as we looked at the, the, the Greek translation last week, it says that in agonizingly, in an agonizing way, contend for those that you love. Whether they hate you for it or not, and some of them are going to hate you for it, contend. Because he will come, church, and I believe that he will be coming soon. So contend until then. These are the times that try men's souls. Are you up for it? I know you're up for it. You're up for it. You wouldn't have been born in this hour of history if you weren't. And what an honor that is when you think about it. As bad as things are, you're here. God wanted you here for this hour of history. It is an honor to carry the baton across the finish line. And that's the church age that we're in. I truly believe it, guys. We'll be carrying that baton across the finish line. And that's how we all must be thinking. So with that, with every eye closed and every head bowed, we'll invite Leith up here. We covered some interesting ground this morning, didn't we? All to the same end, though. If you're here this morning and maybe you've been tired out, maybe you've let off the gas pedal, maybe you've just stopped fighting at all, maybe you've stopped contending, struggling, maybe the arguments have just gotten too much for you and you let it be, you let them sit. Maybe the Lord's moving on your heart and, and lighting, lighting that flame back up again. I don't know what it is, but if the Lord is moving on your heart, we always want to take, take time to do this every service. The Lord is moving on your heart. He's calling on you to lay anything down or pick anything back up again. I want you to lay that down at his feet. So with every eye closed and every head bowed,
Raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Amen. If you're here this morning, if you're watching with us online, and you, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord or your life to the Lord, or maybe it's been a long time and you want to say a prayer of recommittal, we're going to do this this morning. If that's you, and maybe you've wandered off the straight and narrow and you are recognizing in this moment by conviction of the Holy Spirit that it's time to get back on, raise your hand, you can put it right back down. Something happens to us physically and spiritually that we're, we're connected. So when we do something physically, it affects us spiritually as well. Just raise your hand, lift it before the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the way that you love us. We thank you that you bring conviction and correction to us, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you've spared no detail, God. We thank you that you are bigger than the struggles that we face, the giants that we, that we face, Father. We thank you for the rescue plan that you have for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your justice and your faithfulness. Let's say this out loud for anybody who has raised their hand this morning. Let's say this out loud as a church family. Let's say, say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. Come into my heart and make me new. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. That you rose from the grave on the third day. And because you live, I will live in eternity. I thank you that you will not leave me nor forsake me and that you've promised to be with me to the end of the age. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. I told you Jude was going to take us through some interesting stuff, didn't I? May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour out his grace and favor upon you. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. We love you guys. Thank you.